From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. Who is Apollos? Let's look at that. Acts chapter 18, verses 4 through 28. Now a certain Jew named Apollos was born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, and he came to Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a place where they ended up having a Bible school called the School of Tyrannus. It's one of the, the weightiest books in the entire Bible, and it's something where if he was at Ephesus, that meant he was a great teacher. The man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John. I think that's odd. He's teaching the scriptures, but he only knows part of the truth. So he began to boldly speak in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately to him. And when he desired to go to Acacia, the brethren exhorted the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed in the grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And then way back two years ago when Pastor Greg started this series, the first part of 1 Corinthians, this is after his visit that is described in Acts. He goes there and he obviously had an impact on the church to the point where now there's division in the church. And Paul is writing this letter appealing to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. How many marriages need that word? To live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church or the family. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. That is a great, great, great verse. We're not going to talk about it. Some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow the first pope, Peter. I follow, joke, I follow only Christ. So what he's saying here is, There's these divisions, and that leads into one of the reasons why we know Apollos didn't come. This Apollos guy, he's an Alexandrian Jew. Alexandria had the largest library in the entire Roman world, and that was a big deal then. We're not talking printing press has evolved yet. We're talking handwritten scriptures and the largest library. He was intelligent, well-taught. He was eloquent, it says, which means having or exercising the power of being a fluent, forcible, or appropriate speech. He was mighty and accurate in scriptures. He wowed the crowds with his knowledge, not because of who he was, but much like Jesus when they ran back and said, there's never been a guy talk like this before. How many have ever been under, had somebody speak under the anointing and they're like, man, that dude just, or that woman just spoke exactly to me. It's exactly what I wanted. Nobody ever spoke to me. That's the idea. It's called the anointing. It's called speaking with the Spirit of God. He had the baptism of John, which meant he was able to do more with less. He was fervent, fiery, anointed. He was teachable. He exuded humility. He was strong in grace, willing to embrace freedom, 
taught about John, but when somebody told him something else, he was able to embrace the new freedom. There's a lesson there for all of us. We get stuck in ruts. I only believe this, and we got to be able to have the Lord expand us. He was bold, not intimidated, confident. People were naturally drawn to him. He was also a lightning rod. (laughs) How do you have a lightning rod personality? Isn't it fun? I was a kid that would walk in the room and go, man, it's tense in here. Mom and dad, unbeknownst to me, just were fighting. And then who, who received the wrath? Mom or dad? No, the seven-year-old that said, why is it so tense in this room? The lightning rod spirit, I call it. It's, it's, it's really fun when you have it. <laughs> and it wasn't his fault. It was that type of personality. But back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, considering our brother Apollos... I urged, beseeched, basically the Greek word is got out on my hands and knees and begged him to visit you, but he refused. Why? Because he didn't allow his giftedness to dishonor God and was wanting to do more for the Corinthian believers. Our tendency in culture, not just in the church, but it's sad, it's especially in the church, is to elevate or engage personality, especially in worship. He had been to Corinth, he had seen how they misinterpreted his gift, and now it had become a divisive thing. Paul's admonition was for us to be on guard, to be vigilant, to be watchful. The first takeaway we need to have from this is this. The warning of using our God-given gifts and abilities to promote our own agenda and not further the kingdom agenda in in a people or a region. You say, what does that mean to me and my family or in the job? Anybody know somebody that's narcissistic? Aren't they fun to be around? How many had a dad? You don't have to raise your hand. Just... It's a rhetorical question, I'm just asking. A narcissist, someone that looks in the mirror and goes, man, am I beautiful. Man, am I cool, it is sad. Well, who's supposed to, or what's supposed to be our mirror? James says the word of God is our mirror that we look into and when we look into all of a sudden it reflects back who we are and guess what? God does two things. We never measure up but he never condemns us. What Christianity does is God came to man, lifts us up. Every other religion is clawing somehow to get to a karma or get to godhood. But God, when we look into who he is, we will never measure up. But the thing that's so cool is he doesn't condemn me. He says, I know, that's why I provided my son. If there was any other way for us to make it, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. We need, somebody says, religion is a crutch. I say, give me two. I'm serious. We were never made to make it on our own. We were never made. When we look in the mirror of the word of God, it says, Gary, you're not all that, and then some. And I I say this, and especially to guys that are narcissistic, if you spend time in the word, you won't be. Because the word has a way of purifying and as James says, we see our, it's, it's like a little boy on tiptoes looking into a well. And when he looks way down there, there's enough light that he sees the reflection of his own face. That's the aspect of the word of God. 
There's another aspect of this. In John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. By the way, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the few things that are found in all four Gospels. The birth of Christ isn't even found in all four Gospels. The death, burial, and resurrection is. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of those things. So if it's in all four Gospels, how many believe it's pretty important? Yeah. And after they saw him feed the 5,000, it says, they saw this sign that he performed. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself to the mountain. I love pastors or teachers, prophetesses, whoever they may be, who really speak under the anointing of God, and then somebody comes up and says, that was incredible, thank you so much, and they go, it's all Jesus, it's just Jesus. You know the most gracious thing you can say? Thank you. Because Jesus used you, but you don't draw glory to yourself, you deflect it to him. You know what Jesus did after the feeding of 5,000? He preached a sermon called the bread of life and he said this, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, you have no part in me. Think about that one for a while. I'm still chewing on it. I'll never understand it this side of glory, but in the sense of they then fled in droves. Whenever there was a crowd, Jesus challenged them, not about who he was, but about who his father was. Contrast Jesus and Apollo's story to a young man named Absalom. We're not gonna read the story, but Absalom was one of David's sons. He had long flowing hair. He was the Fabio model on the romance novel. Seriously. Got hung by his hair later on in life and died. But anyway, Absalom was David's son and his sister was Tamar. Tamar was raped by a half-brother. That's why you don't have multiple wives, gentlemen. There's a reason for it. Because kids start getting mad at each other. Amnon raped his sister Tamar, who ha- half-sister Tamar, who have to be, happened to be Absalom's sister. David, it says, became angry about it, but did nothing. There's one thing King David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, and there's a warning for all of us in this room, he had a heart after God, but he was a terrible dad. He was not a good dad. I would say that to his face. David, you're not a good dad. It's okay, God loves you, but you're not a good dad. He did nothing about one of his sons raping his daughter. That's sick. That's nasty. You should do something, dads. Moms, you should stand up. So Absalom allowed this root of bitterness to start coming in his heart. And so what he did in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, he bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. And he got up early in the morning and went out to the city gate, which is the place of authority in biblical times. It was where the city council sat. And he sat at the city gate, and when people came in, he would say, "Uh, what case are you bringing to my father, Absalom would ask, and where are you from? And they would tell him what tribe they're from. Then Absalom would say, you really got a strong case. It's too bad my father, the king, doesn't want to hear it. I wish I were judge. Then everyone could bring me their cases for judgment, and I would give them justice. 
He appealed to their bitterness. Have you ever been in a room where bitter people sit together? You're like, that's not happening today. No, I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about another room. But it amazes me when I know people are bitter, they flock to other people that are bitter. It kind of binds their hearts. Absalom was appealing to their bitterness. You're not getting the right justice. By the way, you know what we should desire is not justice. Mercy. He delights in mercy over judgment. We need to show mercy. That's another sermon. And when the people tried to bow down before him, Absalom was going, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't. don't. I'm no Buddy, I'm just the one who heard your case and is going to give you judgment. But don't bow to me. And he'd take him by the hand and then he'd kiss him on the cheek. And Absalom did this to everyone who came to the king for judgment. And he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. We, every one of us, and I'm pointing more fingers at me than you. I'll, I'll, you don't have to worry about this. It's just about the pastoral staff. We're the only ones that have ever struggled with something called an Absalom spirit. Absalom spirit is you usurp authority you were never intended to be given. You draw people's hearts to yourself. I draw people's hearts to myself. Bitter over how his father had handled the rape of his sister Tamar and by his half-brother Amnon David heard it, he got angry. But no matter how we have been abused by leadership, listen to him, everybody look at me. My dad used to do this. Everybody look at me. Why? Because he was in the military. Everybody look at me. No matter what has been done to you, it doesn't give you the right to take somebody else's place. I love John the Baptist. He says a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from above. Why? What? The story of John there was they were all being baptized now by Jesus after John had this incredible ministry. They were all going away. And they said, Master, Master, that man you baptized a few weeks ago, everybody's going over to him. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I love John the Baptist. John the Baptist goes, so, didn't I tell you this is going to happen? A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from above. The second takeaway is this, church. The warning of bitterness Becoming hurt and thinking we can do a better job. I always say this. Everybody's an expert at stuff they've never been or never tried. When you don't have kids, you're an expert at raising kids. I'll never do that when I have my kids. <laughs> yes, you will. Maybe not the same, but it'll be different, but it'll be the same. Everybody's an expert at being the president when you're not the president. Everybody's, and I'm, I don't like, yeah. Everybody's an expert at being a pastor when they're not a pastor. Kids, everybody's... An expert at being a mom and dad when you're not a mom and dad. I always say this, there's no perfect parents, but there's no perfect children. We're all messed up. Remember, that's one of my core values. <laughs> we become hurt thinking we can do a better job. Therefore, we draw people to ourselves, steal their hearts in order to further our agenda rather than God's. Apollos could have done this to the church of Corinth in a heartbeat. He could have had them eating out of his hand. And I love the fact that even though Paul urged him, he had to hear God. Maybe the tendency in his own heart was, I can't do that because I'm going to draw these people to myself. Or maybe he said this, I don't want to draw them to myself or even give an inkling because I know the struggles this church has already. Because Corinth was a mess. 
Question for you. Do you want to walk in an Absalom spirit or do you want to walk in an Apollo spirit? It's a great question for me, for all of us. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another man's lips praise you and not your own. A stranger, not your own lips. How many love posturing? You meet somebody and they tell you what they've done, how they've done it, and how great they did it. Right? There was a gentleman that had been at, like, literally, I am not lying, I'm not sensationalizing, about 80 countries of the world, now probably 110 countries of the world preaching the gospel, has written numerous books. One had been translated into 10 languages. This guy had his stuff together. I introduced him to somebody. He was my mentor. I introduced him to somebody who hadn't done squat. And he begins to say, I've done this and this, and I have this and I have that. And when we walked away, my friend goes, that is the worst case of posturing I've ever seen in my entire life. What's posturing? It means you try to puff yourself up. I am pretty good. Matter of fact, I'm great. Why? Because you're really insecure. Right? You really feel low, so you have to build yourself up, or you pick on somebody else. Right? Proverbs 30. This is what I close with. As a pastor for 40 years, we've had people that have been sent out in short-term missions trips. We've had people that have been sent out from the church to do long-term missions. We've had people sent out to go to another town for a job. This is something I always pray over them, and I don't think they understand it. I love Agar, or Agar. He wrote one of the Proverbs. Solomon didn't write them all. Two things I request of you. Do not deprive me before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me. How many think that's a good prayer to pray over people? How about praying it over yourself? God, remove falsehood from me, right? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Listen to this. Lest I become too full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I become poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I think that's a prayer we need to pray over ourselves and everybody we meet. Two things. God, you know exactly what it's going to take. I, I remember when I was young in the Lord because God, had, and I'm not posturing it, God has used me. And when I was very young, I was afraid because I knew my tendency to pride, for pride. And God spoke to me something very clear. He said, oh, so you don't have to worry about that, son. Why? Because I'll give you enough where you know you've got to be on your face. Or if you don't, I'll put you flat on your face. And he's done both. But Agar says, God, give me enough trials where I'm dependent on you. But don't make them so harsh that I have to do things in my own strength. That's what I pray over vintage. Enough to keep us where we need to walk. Right? When my son was two, we wanted to wear a placard that said, yes, we discipline this child. He was terrorizing the nursery. He was terrorizing everything. Literally. Now... He's a techie guy that's a nerd. You wouldn't even know he had, you know, sometimes like, hey, are you alive in there? But the fact is, you know, God puts parameters on us because he knows what it takes. I want to serve him. So I need parameters in my life. They're not demands and commandments. You must, you must, you must. I want to. So he says, walk this way. I think they make a great rock song. Anyway, walk this way. 
Walk this way. And then the one, but God, don't give me too much where I have to go out and do my own thing. Don't give me too much where I'm too full. Don't give me too much trials where I forget you and do my own thing. That's a great prayer for us. Because every one of us, man, woman, and child, can be narcissistic. We can posture. We can further our own kingdom at the expense of others. Right? And I love Apollos' heart. You know, when I get to heaven, there's a few people I want to talk to. Not like go to the Lord and say, I always tell people that they go, I'm going to go to the Lord. Why did you do that? You're not going to care. You're around the throne. You're not going to care. But I hope I have a few days to hang out with Apollos. Just sit down and talk to him. There's a few other obscure characters in Scripture I would love to be able to sit down and talk to. But think about the character of this man. He could have gone and stolen that church. And he said, nope, I'm not going to do it. That's why I love Pastor Greg. I love working together. Why? Because we mutually extend grace to each other. It's just such an awesome thing. There's no threat from either one of us. Why? Because we love Jesus first. We love his church second and each other, maybe second, each other second and the church third. And throw our wives in there too. <laughs> you get my point. I'm digging a hole. My wife's not here. She's in Idaho. I can talk about her. But anyway, <laughs> let's pray. Father, thank you. Give us a heart not like Absalom, God. Give us a heart like Apollos, where we love you, we defer, we know our weakness, and we refuse to walk in it. Thank you, Father, for grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.